Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, truth, and abundance. And if that is you, then stick around because on today's show, we actually dig into property development. I had a great guest on the show today. His name is Justin Getty. Uh, He runs a podcast. He's got a property development course. And his very first investment property was a 20-townhouse development. What? That's mental, right? So never Needless to say, he's got a lot of lessons and a lot of knowledge to share. This episode, though, was particularly interesting because we didn't just stick to the mechanical. We also we we walked a little bit on the spiritual side. We then we also talked about the practicalities of development. We got into Justin's story too, and we talked more specifically around the five ingredients to getting started in property development. So, uh, even if you're not interested in property developing, I think you're going to love this episode because it lends to understanding about purpose. It lends to to thinking about resilience, and it will give you some insight into another part of the total spectrum of the property investing ecosystem, of which property development is a part of, and it may very well be a part of your portfolio at some point. So without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. I know you're going to love this this episode. I had a really fun time talking to Justin. It was really cool. We went on, on, on some really interesting tangents. So um, I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, make sure that you do all the stuff that we ask you to do every week. Um, we love helping you, so help us to help other people uh, by sharing this with someone you know, like, and love. Spread this around. That would be wonderful. The only thing that we request is that you help us to get spread our message further. Um, and if you could do that, that would absolutely mean the world to all of us here. Uh, without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and we'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a very special guest, Justin Getty from the Property Developer Podcast. Justin, how are you today? Chris, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I've actually been angling to get you on this show for, I think I first asked you, it must have been like six months ago or, or something like that. What's what? Why is it taking so long? What have you been doing? Oh, well, Goose, uh, I always like to uh, try and keep people hanging. You don't want to give everything away too quickly. So you don't want to be too easy to get. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, you just tre- treat them mean, keep them keen type thing. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, just, well, keep um, them, just keep them waiting in the uh, waiting room just for a little yeah. bit longer. <laughs> nice. Builds nice. up the uh, sense of suspense. It certainly does. Certainly does. Now, look. For, for listeners of this show, look, we, uh, you know, at what we do and what we talk about, you know, we on the Investor Lab and also with our business, what we, we don't do development stuff, right? Now, I don't have a problem with that. It's all good. It's just not something that we do. And so, what I'm hoping uh, we can tackle in this episode together is to dig into a little bit about that and give people more optics. But before we do that, it's probably really worthwhile us sort of circling back and sort of finding out a little bit more about you. I mean, why don't we give us a little bit of a background? You know, who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? Come on, give us some, give us some juice. Yeah, well, I think uh, property developing, which we'll get to in a minute, is a really good strategy that your listeners should contemplate. And it might be something that they consider as they go along through their property investment journey, because it's a bit of a natural evolution that people go through from investing property to trying to improve their returns. So I yep. think it's a it's a natural step forward that a lot of investors take. But me, uh, I got into property developing about 10 years ago and really love it, really enjoy it. I've got a bit of a funny story about my property developing evolution. I started off, actually, my first property that I ever purchased myself was a development site. Really, so, the first your first property you ever purchased was a development site. Yep. And, and when was and when was that? That was in 2013. Yep. And I bought that development site to do what I thought would be a 10 unit project, which is actually a fairly big project to begin with. But in the end it ended up being a 20 townhouse project. So it was, it was pretty crazy how it got to that size. So it was never intended to be such a huge project, but that's, that's what insane. ended up happening. That's insane. Hang, hang on a second. We've got to go a little bit further back than that because just starting with, hi, my name's Justin and I bought my first property in 2013 and it was a 2020 townhouse development. That's, that's not fair. That is not a reasonable place to start. Like, 
what what were you doing? Now you're a professional developer. You do it all the time. What were you doing before that? You know, like tell us, give us a little bit of a background. I'm interested to know what life was like for you prior to buying that first property and what led you to buy that first property. We'll start there. How's that? So give us a little back background. What was life like before you before you started on that journey? So I was originally a period costume actor, Goose. No. <laughs> No, I came from a corporate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is the, that's the best. Okay. All right. Good. You had me. You had me. No, I came from a, a corporate background. I worked in corporate communication for you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the turning point in my life came when my first child was born. So in my mid 30s, child was born. I think you go through a period of contemplation and reflection and realized what I was doing was not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and started thinking about, well, what did I want to dedicate my life to? Mm -hmm. And I was always interested in property, probably like many of your listeners, and really enjoyed it. And so, decided on, settled on property being what I was going to focus on. And so, then I started thinking, well, I'm going to get into property investment and started reading all the classic books around property investing that you probably know about and was on my way and I was listening to a podcast actually about property investing and I heard a guy come on and talk about property development and that's when the light bulb went off for me that can, yeah I was going to do development I want to circle back a little bit so you had your you had your first child right and you had an epiphany moment and sort of said oh, hang on a second is this the life that I want what do I want out of life what did that look like? Because there's an interesting piece there that I want to try and dig into because everyone kind of has this ostensibly same goal. They want to do what they want, when they want, with who they want, et cetera. But I'm interested to know what about your situation did you want to change? What was the, like, because transforming a life from, hey, I've got a career in corporate to I'm going to completely, you know, transform and reshape and become the master of my own destiny, that doesn't, that doesn't happen unless you've got a pretty big conviction about where you want to get to. Like you sort of don't, you don't just kind of fumble around and get there. So I'm interested to know what was that vision that pulled you forward? Because you've got to have a pretty big vision about to pull you to where you've gotten to today. So what was that vision then? And let's talk about that. Well, I think everybody wants to lead a fulfilling life. Mm. And I suspect a lot of people don't have that sense of fulfillment with the work that they do. Mm. Uh, and for a lot of people, they just continue on with it. They're not happy, but they like the regular paycheck. They like the lifestyle that it affords them. There's a certain degree of fear about jumping out of that circle mm-hmm. uh, and that creates stagnation and then people don't want to do anything about it. So they just continue on. Um I chose to take some action, had done a lot of self-development work, um, Mm -hmm. read a lot, studied a lot, and actually it was a course that I did with a guy called Dr. John Demartini that I would say is probably a turning point. Which one did you do? He's very good, John Demartini. Oh, I've done a lot of advanced stuff with John, actually. Um, So, started off reading a lot of his books and listening to a lot of his audio programs and then went mm. to his breakthrough course and have done uh, Prophecy and Imperience and still with John today um, doing a lot of his advanced stuff. And so doing a lot of that work with John helped me come to the realisation that I'm the captain of the ship. Mm. My destiny is up to me. Uh, if you want something then articulate it and go after it. Yeah. John, John D. Martini is kind of the captain of the ship as well in, in a sense because, you know, he's got that apartment on that cruise ship that travels around the world. I think that's, that's, that's brilliant. He just travels the world on a, on a cruise ship. So, yes. um, no, called, that's awesome. It's called the ship. It's called the world. It's called the world. It's, mm, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fasc- fascinating though. But, no, that's, that's awesome. That's a really good – that's a really cool insight. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. It's good. It's I think personal development plays such a big role uh, in being able to have the courage to know that you are, you, you can take charge of your destiny. So, okay. Yeah, so you started think, to, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think it's actually a really important point that your listeners may want to reflect on is that 
they do have the capacity to take control of their lives. Mm. And one decision today can change the trajectory of their lives if they decide to do something and then follow through on it. Yeah. I think that's the key is the follow through, the action afterwards. Totally. Because anyone can have big ideas, right? But it's about ta- it's about taking action and then following through because because sometimes you can kind of get try and get half pregnant and all of that kind of stuff and it just just never works. So yeah, I te- I tend to agree with you. But for a lot of people, it's really hard to get to to find to kind of crack through because we're all basically just you know nervous wrecks at the start of the day and you know you know this kind of vibrating shell of mass and 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 worry and it takes a bit of it takes a bit of concerted effort to try and build up the required um, mental and emotional um, muscles to be able to break through that and to shake it free and to go, no, 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 this is, I'm, I'm writing this story and what is this story going to look like? What's going to happen next? And where is it going to end? Um, well, it's so funny it's a, that you should one. use the term vibrating because in actual fact, that's what we are all made up of, mm. atomic elements that are vibrating and being shaken up and that's where having a goal and an intention in life actually helps to send the vibration or control to a certain degree the vibrations that are going through your body sounds a little bit woo woo it's actually scientific i'm I'm so on board with that yeah yeah. but that's where intention comes from so when you hear people talking about intention and motivational speakers and you think it's all just a bit of a joke there's actually some science behind it that the intention then vibrates through your body, which then sends messages to your atoms that here's what you need to do with or what they need to do to help you get to where you want to go. Totally. It's a ripple effect. If like if we're a bunch of uh, vibrating atoms in a sea of other vibrating atoms. And so if you just like when you drop a stone in a pond, if you can change the the impact of that piece of water that you drop the stone in, it then has a ripple effect on all the pieces of water around it. And the same thing happens when you when you convert your desires into intentions and intentions into desires and send that out into the into the ether. So now I'm a big proponent of that. We've talked about that on this show before. So it's not um, we haven't gone we haven't strayed too far into the woo soup yet. So it's okay. It's all good. Well, and then coming back to that point that I got to. So I'd done a lot of yeah. that work and I'd worked, yeah. prepared and thought about the vision that I wanted for my life yep. and that didn't involve working for somebody else and helping them or an organisation deliver on their vision. I wanted to work on my own vision. Awesome. Awesome. No, cool. So so then you just thought, great, I'll go buy an investment property and whoops, accidentally turned it out to be a 20 development, 20 townhouse development site. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so the thing that was nagging away at me around property investment was just the time that it was going to take for me to realize a return. Mm. And that didn't suit my personality or my risk profile. So that's when I hit upon this idea of doing property development where you were then able to manufacture growth and be in a lot more control about what happened with a project and properties that struck a chord with me. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I would say though, like, and you mentioned risk profile there, like one of the big, I'm going to say problems, but take that, take it, take that word or leave it. I don't mean a big, but one of the, I guess, one of the issues potentially with, um, with property development is that it's so high risk. Like there are lots of people who try it and go completely bust. And I mean, you've obviously, I'm assuming that 20 townhouse development was a successful venture. It was, yes. It ended up being quite profitable. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was smooth sailing, but it definitely was profitable. I learned a lot from it and I'm happy to go through some of those lessons with you. But just touching on risk, I think you're right. There is risk associated with doing property development, Mm. but I think you'd probably agree there's risk in purchasing an investment property. The key to risk is one, identifying what it is, and then two, taking steps to mitigate it. Mm. But I think risk comes from not being aware of it, one, so you're actually not understanding that there is risk involved, and two, I think that comes back to education around what is it that you're doing. And that's where 
people like yourself are really helpful for people that are wanting to get into property, whether it's for the first time or the second time, Mm. because they're smart enough to know, well, actually, I don't really have much experience in buying a property or investing a property. Uh, So I'll get some help from someone who does. And so they mitigate their risk that way. Yeah, it's interesting just talking about risk. I just finished reading um, Great by Choice by Jim Collins. It's a fantastic book. And um, one of the big, big messages in that, it analyzed the the difference between the companies that were insanely uh, profitable and successful over long periods of time versus comparison companies who didn't do the same thing. And one of the big things about that was that the leaders, and you're talking like your Bill Gateses and all of this kind of stuff, were insanely paranoid. Like they, they were always worried about risk. What is the risk? How can we manage the risk? And it was actually through perpetual risk management. That's what actually was the the flywheel that drove their growth because they were continuously going, oh, we're going to solve that risk and then that risk. And what about this risk? And what about that risk? And by solving all of the risks, they ended up being insanely more successful. And I think that there's a big lesson in that, in in tackling the risks as a growth strategy. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do in a project. I'm still aware of the risks. Yeah. Some of them you mitigate, you don't eliminate them, but you're just aware of them and you take steps to try and ensure those outcomes don't happen. Yeah, and totally. I, and 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 risk. There's a risk continuum, right? So there's low risk, which would be your entry level investment properties, and then there's high risk, would be at the other end, more expensive, sophisticated style properties. And you probably wouldn't start at the sophisticated end. You start at the beginning, at the lower end, which, and the risk. But you is started at sophisticated. You started at this. You started at twenty townhouses. I don't know many people who have done 10, 20 townhouses, let alone, let alone for a first property. So, how did you tackle that? Like, I want to get into a few other things in this. I'm mindful of time, right? There's a lot we want to get through, but we've got to. We can't gloss over this. Like, how did you do that? What? What? Give us so, a, give us a thirty seconds to the two minute summary, maybe. Yeah. So the, I didn't start off with the intention of doing a twenty townhouse project. That wasn't right. what I wanted to do. I started off thinking I'd do a a six project. And so that's what I was doing. I was searching for a site that would accommodate six units. I actually stumbled across a much bigger property in the neighboring suburb and thought, oh, it was about 15% more expensive, but it was way bigger. And I thought we could probably get 10 on there quite easily. So we decided to switch. My partner and myself decided to switch to doing that. And so we put in an application, a planning application for the 10 townhouses, all single level units, which would have sold really well in the market, submitted it to council. They had recently changed the planning zones in that area. And so they were now wanting to see more intense development around that area because it was close to the centre of the town. Mm. So they came back and said, no, we want to see more, more units on the site. So I was like, so how, how did you develop? This is your first crack at it. How did you have the skills to know how to do all this kind of stuff? How did you, how did you, you know, how did you even know that was viable? And another question did you buy the property first and then do the planning, or did you get it under some kind of option or long term a contract or something whilst you did the planning? Yes, good question. So I hadn't just jumped in and decided I was going to do property development and just wing it. Mm. Talking about risk, that would have been extremely high risk. I didn't do that. I had educated myself. So I'd done a property developing mentoring program. So I'd learned all about the nuts and bolts of property developing development Mm -hmm how to do feasibilities, how to analyze the market, how to make sure I was buying in the right place. So I ticked all those boxes. Uh, I was lucky back at the time because in 2013, the market was pretty soft and it was during the GFC and this property had actually gone to auction and then been passed in and it was just sitting there. So I actually had a lot and long time to look at it, which today just wouldn't be possible. But I did secure it with a due diligence period. But by the time I'd actually signed the contract, I was already pretty confident about what we would try and do. So I didn't Mm -hmm. just jump in is the short answer to your question. I had educated myself and tried to mitigate some of the risk. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so we put in the application for 10, sent it off to council. I'm rubbing my hands together thinking this should sail through. They come back. The council comes back and says, 
no, we're not happy with 10. Uh, we want to see more units on there. So, yeah. But did you, but just, just to clarify, did you buy it first and then do the application? Is that what you said? We, or, did you get, yes. or did you get it under an option or something? <clears throat> no, we bought it uh, just with a standard sale contract with, uh, I yep. can't remember, I think it was. And a, then after it had settled, you then went and did the application. We, you, you don't need to settle before you can lodge your application, but there's a couple of months where you've got to put all your documentation sure. together. I yep. can't remember what the settlement period was on that property. I don't think it was too long, maybe yep. six months. Yeah, cool. Um, so, yes, so council said no to the 10 they said, we want to see more units on the block and we want to see some terrace-style dwellings. So I went back to the design team, gave them the feedback. So we came up with a 14-townhouse scheme, a mix of single and double-storey townhouses. Mm -hmm. And then across the front of the site, we had a couple of duplexes. So there were four side-by-side -side duplexes with a break in between. So we had the 14. Yep. And I'm thinking... This is it. They'll be happy with this. We've ticked all their boxes. So we send, we submit that scheme back into them. They come back again saying, no, we still think the site's underdeveloped and we want to see another four or five dwellings on the site. <laughs> so you can imagine what I'm thinking at this point in time. My six unit project that I started out that then went to 10 units, that then went to 14 units, and now it's looking like it's going to be even bigger than that. Yeah. So yeah. I was sitting there thinking, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. <laughs> but I was able to roll with it. And I, this came back to having done that work uh, on myself and on my vision and just prepared to roll with the punches and, and go with it. So uh, at that point in time, I decided to change up my team We've mm -hmm. got a new architect on board who came up with a, with a new design. So we had 10 townhouses at the front, 10 at the back, driveway in the middle, sent that into council and they loved it. They were happy with it. So they said, yep, this is good. And off we went. And from that moment, the, I had there was a real sense of momentum with the project, which yeah, carried awesome. through until it finished. How long did it take from go to home, from start to finish? Uh, just over three years. Nice. Okay. And, and, and so, so you talk about risk. So there hmm. were several points in time where I'm sitting there thinking the risk keeps escalating, right? Hmm. Amount of units. And everyone goes, oh, great. You got double the units where you got double the profits. Yeah, yeah, you do have double the profits, but you also have double the double cash the risk. Yeah. and double the risk. Maybe not double the risk, but you've got definitely hmm. got double the cash extended the time, everything's bigger and longer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so so that was back in 2013. You bought that. Took three years to do, so it gets you up to 2016. Um, how many developments have you done since then? So my second project was completely different to that project. Mm. So before that one finished, I ended up buying another site in the neighbouring suburb, which had the same zoning and a similar size, and I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll just do the same type of project again mm -hmm. in the same council, same zoning, should be straightforward. So I submitted a planning application for 19 townhouses on that site, waiting for council to pat me on the back and say, well done, Justin, we're happy with you first time around. Yeah. Uh, but they were not happy with that scheme. They wanted to see less townhouses on there. This time around, a lot of the neighbours were very unhappy with my scheme mm -hmm. and they objected and caused a lot of furor. And in the end, the council rejected that application for 19. So I took a trip mm -hmm. off to the planning tribunal, which in Victoria is called VCAT, yep. to have that decision reviewed and hopefully overturned. Uh, but to cut a long story short, uh, we lost at the tribunal. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go back to the drawing board on that project and ended up with a 14 townhouse scheme, which is actually just about to finish being built. Oh, unreal. Interesting. Yeah, we've yeah. got inspections happening today, actually. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that's, uh, that was 
a story to offset the gains in the first project in terms of council asking for more units there and then asking for less units there. So that was things balancing out, Goose. Yeah, nice, nice, cool. So they're kind of your two major projects you've done. Have you done other stuff as well? Not that I'm suggesting that you haven't done enough because that's that's uh, 34 that's 34 um, townhouses in uh, what's that seven eight years right? Which is pretty which is pretty good going. Well, I I ended up, I do have a third project that's about to start construction. So I actually mm-hmm. bought the property right next door to my first project. And putting another 14 townhouses on there. I'm just waiting for council to endorse our plan so that we can get started. We've got the builder appointed and we're hoping to get started towards the end of next month on that project. Awesome. Awesome. That's super exciting. So that probably lends us into some of the meat of what we were endeavoring to talk about today when we started doing this show, which was uh, what are some of the some of the most, now that you've done this, you've sort of had some challenges, trials, tribulations, successes, all of that kind of stuff. You've obviously got a couple under your belt now. What are some of the most important ingredients for getting started in, in, in property development? Because there's obviously a lot, you've obviously jumped in the deep end. So the lessons that, that you've learned, probably learned a lot of lessons fast that you can share with people. So what are some of the ingredients that people need to be thinking about? Yeah, well, I think as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I would encourage your investor clients to consider development as a strategy that they might want to look at in terms of helping to grow mm-hmm. their portfolio and increase their returns. And I think the importance of that is understanding what you're getting into. And mm. this is where people can get into trouble and going back to risk. I think there's five main ingredients that you can think about when you're getting started in property mm-hmm. development. And the first one is understanding the development process and the life cycle of a project. So before I went into my first project, I actually understood that. Yeah. I hadn't done a project before, but I knew how it was going to play out. Yeah. And so I, was, I went in with my eyes open, not squinting and wondering what was going to happen. Yeah. The second thing about producing good feasibility that captures all the costs that are going to be involved in a project. Hang on a second. Before we, move, before we move on to the second point, I'm interested. So the life cycle of the project is a really interesting one. That it's, worth, it's worth expanding on that a little bit because I think that's where a lot of people, um, like understanding the process, yeah, that's you definitely need to do that because I've, I've seen a lot of people who get into, get, they'll go, great, I'm going to be a developer. They'll go, they have no idea what they're doing. They'll buy something which could be developed, right? Can be developed, right? It has the capacity to be developed, whether it be a one into two, one into three, one into five, whatever, but they don't actually understand what is involved. And so they end up buying something and then trying to work out what to do with it. And then that ends up taking, extending their timeline tremendously because what could have been a maybe a, a, a two-year project becomes a five-year project. And then all of a sudden, they've got all this opportunity cost. So understanding the process is really, really important. But the life cycle as well, like in the first project you did, the life cycle was three years, right? It was 2013 to 2016. Is that kind of typical? Like, is that sort of what if, you know, what is what is that for, that, for the average punter, right? It's not a 20 townhouse development is probably going to be maybe a one into four or one into three or something if we use that what's the kind of life cycle that people should expect for that yeah i was about to say let's talk about smaller projects so yeah say up to four units for example yeah i would be thinking you'd be looking to at two to two and a half years for a project from start to finish if things go reasonably according to plan yep smaller projects can be quicker a lot of it will depend on what kind of planning process you need to go through. So if you're doing yep. a smaller project like a duplex, for example, you might not have to go through the same rigorous planning application process. It might be a lot more streamlined, so it'd be quicker getting in and out of planning. So you could get something done you know, in 12 to 18 months, for example. Yep. Okay. And so over that period of time, let's just call it two years for simplicity's sake, uh, how much time does it take? Like, is it a full-time job? Like, do people need to go, all right, I'm going to go develop something, so I'm going to quit my job and I need to have enough money to be able to survive for the next two years plus do the project? Is that, or is it something that because of just, it's just that it takes time, but in actuality it only takes you two or three hours a week to manage the project? What's the kind of the implication there? Yes, well, this is another thing that I really like about property development is that it's 
a great leverage or it's a great way of leveraging your money and also your time. Mm. So I think you would probably be looking at averaging, I say, 15 hours a week yep. to manage a project. But there'll be periods of time where it's busy and periods of time where it's not. And this is about mm-hmm. understanding that life cycle because there'll be points in the project where it's really busy. For example, when you're searching for a site, you can invest as much time or as little time as you want into that. Mm-hmm. But then when you secure a site, super busy time because you're doing all your due diligence. So you can spend, again, as much time as you want on that. But then when you submit something into planning, well, you're sitting there waiting for council to review things. So, yes, mm-hmm. there's things you can do, but it's, there's nothing super pressing. So you could tail off a little bit there. So it sort of ebbs and flows through a project. Yeah. There's really busy times where for a week or a month, you'd be super busy, but then it'll tail off. So yeah. I think on average, if you were thinking about 15 hours a week, yep. hour and a half a day, that's probably pretty good, uh, pretty good amount of time. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. That's good to know. Okay, cool. So so first ingredient or the first, first step is understand the development process and the lifestyle of the project. Got it. Yes. And then it's about producing a good feasibility that captures all the costs. And I think yep. this leads on from your point where people just assume they're going to be able to do something, but they actually haven't really analysed it. Or they do the old back of the napkin kind of feasibility. Yeah. In your, ex- yeah in your experience, like how many properties, what percentage of properties actually would stack up on a feasibility? Like is it one in 10? Because it's very easy to look at a property and go, oh, I can see it's maybe an 800 square meter block and it's got a house on the front and I could do a battle axe subdivision and bada bing, bada boom, surely that makes sense. Uh, therefore, let's go for it. But like realistically, what's the strike rate when we're ever working out or not working out? Oh, it's very low. It's very low finding a really good development site, one that's going to provide you with the kind of returns that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, but it depends what you're, what you're after. If you're mm-hmm. planning to buy and hold for 10 years, then the battle axe block that maybe breaks even mm. actually works out because you're getting that property at cost. Yeah. So it just depends. You, let me just spitball something with you here for a moment. Let's say we had a, you were to buy a battle axe you know, battle axe splitter, right? For those of you who don't know what that is, it's typically, you know, house on the on the front one front corner of the block and you've got a driveway that goes next to it, got access to the backyard and it got a subdividable space in the rear. Now, if you were to buy a property of that type, and let's just say it was cash flow positive and it was also the right time and play, it was a good it was good buy and hold investment, right? Basically, right? It could what do you think of the strategy of buying something like that? And then even if the FISA doesn't work out or you don't bother doing a FISA, but if you wait, say, five years or so or to even 10 years and then go back to that property to develop it later when you'll have much a, higher, a much higher profit margin out of that property and you will have also gotten returns out of it along the way, what do you, what's your general thoughts on that? I think if you can do that, if you can find those blocks, it's actually a smart investment strategy, particularly mm. if you're starting out. Because you can buy yourself some time and mm. grow some margin for error is what yeah. I would call it for your first project. Yeah. You can wait for the capital growth to kick in, build up some mm. margin, do some more due diligence, find a team, figure out what the numbers are and wait until you get to that point that you're ready to do it. And that might be because the market's got to a certain point. You've yep. got to a certain point in terms of your education or your uh, your savings and you're ready to yep. tackle a project. So it's actually th- something that I think is really smart and is something that more first-time or fledgling investors could be looking at so that they're looking more strategically down the track. Yeah, because that's something we've helped. We help people like our focus is on right, right property, right place, right, right time. But I, that's something that we've helped a lot of people do is to kind of build in a, a bit of a safety net or a backstop. It's like, well, you can buy it now and it makes sense, a good investment now, and then also you have the ability to go and do something later. So it's sort of like buying properties that pay you twice. But that we're off track here. Okay, so we've we've covered first point: understand the development process and the lifestyle of a project. The second point: produce a good feasibility that captures all of the costs. That's going to be tricky to do if you don't 
to have some like that's going to be tricky to do if you don't if you don't know what you don't know, right? Well, and that's where people get into trouble because they don't yeah. capture all the costs, mm. and and it's not necessarily a case of getting all those numbers correct. It's at least being aware of what they are. Because, there are numbers that should be there. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. a lot of people will do the back of the napkin feasibility, right? The, yeah, I'll buy the property for a million bucks. I'll build four new townhouses on them, and they'll be five hundred each to to build. Uh, that's two million, and then I'll sell them all for one point five. Uh, there's six million. I'm going to walk away with three mil. Mm. Uh, and you go, mm, no. <laughs> there's a whole lot of other costs that go in to the feasibility that you need to factor in to give you your actual profit. Yeah. Speaking of profit, what's the what's the typical kind of profit on cost that you would expect out of a project? Uh, it's another one of those questions where it depends. So yeah. it depends on the size and the risk and the time you're going to invest. There used to be this magic figure of 15% mm-hmm. as a return that you would be looking for. It depends on the size of the project and the amount of time that you put into it. So... It, like a duplex project, for example, may not yield a 15% return, but it might do 10 and that yeah. might be quite acceptable because you're in and out in 12 months. There's no planning risk. There's no market risk. Yeah. 10% is a fantastic return for time and effort. Yep. But the bigger the project you go, you'd be looking to get over that 15%. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So what's the, what's the, third, what's the third ingredient? Well, it's what we've already talked about, buying oh, yeah. well so you have a margin for error. Got it. And Does that just is- mean buying cheap properties? Does that, is that what you mean? Like just buy, buy cheap stuff so that you got a big buffer? Is that what you mean? Is there any cheap property in Australia anymore, Goose? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still buy properties under market values, so, you know, if you know where to look. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be a good, good development site. That's, so. <laughs> that's, that's the exact point. So we've yeah. already touched on not every piece of dirt is ideal for doing a development yeah but there's plenty of sites that maybe don't work today because they're Mm. too expensive and the numbers don't work but in four or five years with the projected Mm. growth you can see that they will work and that might be a really good investment that you could make you can buy today with a view to the future yeah. So that's where I say buy for a margin of error, particularly on your first one, because you don't yeah. really want to be skating on thin ice with your first project because you want it to be a success. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay, that makes total sense. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the fourth one is having sufficient cash. And so making sure that you've got enough liquidity to see the project through, because I think this is, again, <laughs> another problem that people come up against is they have a great idea about doing a project. And they go, we'll, we'll do four on the site, but then the, when it comes time to actually start paying for things, they don't have any cash or they run out of cash halfway through. It's a good question. How much cash do you need for, for a project like that? Obviously, note there's like how long's a piece of string and are you doing it? Where are you doing it? And all of that kind of stuff. But broadly speaking, if someone's thinking about this and going, okay, well, do I need 200 grand? Do I need a million bucks? What's the, you know, what's the benchmark? Yeah, I think if you're doing a three or a four unit site, and again, as you said, it's pretty hard to kind of generalize because it depends where you are and the kind of project. But I would have thought if you've got 80 to 100K yeah. in cash, you could get a project out of the ground and finished. Yeah, interesting. A is, there, project. Is, there, is there some kind of ratio? Like if the end product is going to be worth a million bucks, then therefore you would need... X percent of that. Is there some ratio so that, that you can that you can think about like if I'm doing a five hundred thousand dollar project, I'll need X percent in cash, which is this. Or if I'm doing a ten million dollar project, I'll need X percent in cash. Is there something like that that people can develop a heuristic around? Yeah, I think if you are looking at fifty to a hundred percent of your expected profit in terms of cash, that probably gives you a pretty good idea or a ballpark. So if you're projecting a $100,000 profit, for example, then you might be thinking we'd probably need 150 to 200K in cash to get the project done. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. So broadly speaking, it's somewhere around, it's probably close to 20% of the project costs. It, could, it depends. 
It's yeah, hard okay. To, yeah, it's hard to so get. I'm probably, I'm probably, I get probably trying to distill it down a little too much. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah. this is where it comes down to the feasibility goose. Got it. That's why the importance of the feasibility, so that you can go. Yes, we need 100k in cash. Yeah, but we're cool. going to make 200k or 150k or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Got it. Because you're starting to talk about cash on cash returns rather than profit on cost. Mm. Yeah, which is I actually love the cash on cash return measure or you know or return a return on capital. Like I think that people focus on top line and they don't focus on you know like what actually if I put a hundred grand in, what am I going to get out? Like what's the what's the actual return? And and I think yeah, there's some pretty tra- it's pretty transformative once you start looking at what you're actually really getting for your money, right? Exactly. And that's when I talked about leverage before, they're the two massive levers that development Mm. provides to you. One, the time, because you can get great returns for doing 15 hours a week Mm -hmm. and then your cash returns. So they're pretty good returns for the time and effort that goes in and you enjoy it along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully you enjoy it along the way. Well, if (laughs) if you know what you're doing and you go in with your eyes open, and it's something mm-hmm. you really want to do, it's enjoyable. Awesome. Awesome. Are there any other ingredients people need to be aware of? Well, we've touched on this one before, and mm. it's about having that strategic per- uh, the strategic purpose as to why you're doing a project mm. because it's going to help you along the way. So this goes back to having the vision. Why is it that you want to do property development? Because yeah. you will hit hurdles and obstacles, it's mm. just part of developing. It's not smooth. You don't go from point A to point B in a straight line. There's lots of bumps along the way. And when you hit those bumps and hurdles, and actually this applies to life, not just property mm. developing, if you have that purpose and that vision, it's going to help you overcome those problems and push through mm. push through the blockages to get to the other side. Yeah. So what's your vision then? Like I'm interested to know like what is what is the – what is the version of success that you are aiming for? What's, the, what's pulling you forward? Well, I've got a vision to build a 1,000 townhouses for people in my career, uh, and I really enjoy building homes for people. There's a really special feeling about building a dwelling that someone's going to live in. And mm-hmm. for a lot of the people that we sell to, it's their first property. And so the idea of getting into a new home, a place where people are going to have dreams and memories and they're going to be there for a while. That property is going to exist for decades. That's a pretty special feeling being able to deliver that into the Mm. world. So Mm. that drives me forward, giving giving people the opportunity to move into a beautiful place to live. Yeah. Nice. 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 Now I've got another question I want to I wanted to actually ask you, and I, I want to dig into a few things because now that I know you've done a bit of personal development, that opens up um, some very interesting stuff. So I'm interested to know what in the la- in the last five years, or even in fact since 2013, let's stretch it all the way back to when you started this journey. What new beliefs, behaviours, or habits have most improved your life? Good question. I would say. It's about taking control of your future. I think you already mentioned the saying, be a master of your destiny, Mm -hmm. not a victim of your history. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of power in that. So I would suggest to people that they do have control about their future Mm. and they can take charge. And so becoming, one, aware of that and two, actually putting it into practice can make a massive difference in your life. Mm. And so what I've are, become more aware of that over the last you know, five to 10 years. And can I ask, like, let's get tactical. How do you, I mean, look, you can say that I put it into action and look, this is the, the result is that I end up doing these developments. What tactics do you have or do you have any, you know, helpful 
you know, habits or heuristics that help people to do, to do that. I mean, I know personally I do morning journaling and I do some affirmations. I've got a whole bunch of stuff and I'm interested in, so taking that idea that you can be the master of your own destiny rather than the victim of your own history and taking charge and put, you know, just driving forward and stuff. But what tactics can you share that you maybe have developed or borrowed from others or deploy in your own life that can, that people could maybe take away and start, start applying in theirs and, and testing that out? I think you work with the vision. Yeah. So where do you want to get to? So what, what do you want your life to look like? And the more detailed that you can get, the better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's something that will change over time or will be fleshed out over time. Because people mm. will start out and go, oh, I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Mm. You go, yeah, okay. But what does that actually mean? Mm. What are you going to do? Just going to sit around on the couch all day and watch sport? It's yeah. probably not what you want to do. <laughs> Maybe it is. Totally. I don't know. <laughs> Try and define it as much as you can and continue to refine it because then you have a goal to work towards. How do you refine it though? Do you have a vision board? Do you write journal entries? Have you created a life plan? Like how do you, how do you, how do you embody, how do you put that in front of yourself every day? So you're like, aha, let's keep going. Aha, let's keep going. What do you, what do you do? Yes, it's exactly that. So you have the big vision, whatever, for the 20 years, for 25 years, then you break it down, break it down into 10 year periods, five year periods, one year periods, one month periods, daily periods. You just yeah. keep breaking it down into smaller and smaller pieces. Yeah. And then it becomes easier to achieve. So then you can set your daily goals. Mm. And each day you can wake up, you can read your goals, you can look at your vision. Mm. And it sh- if, if it's done well and it is really what you want to do, it It'll will inspire you. And you should, it should excite you. And going back to on a subatomic level, the atoms are going to vibrate and push you towards your goal. Yeah, I love it. I love it that you mentioned that structure because the 25 to 1 life plan is something that we've, we've talked about on this show before. And it's interesting the fact that um, 90 day chunks, you have 190 day chunks in a 25 year period. So it breaks it down perfectly. It's beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. And then that, that can help you through the day as well when you're mm. facing a challenge. It's like, well, okay, yeah. what, what, what do I need to focus on today that's going to make the biggest impact on my overall goal? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I love that. And, Thanks for. Sorry to interrupt, going. but yes, all those things you mentioned journaling. Write down what's important to you. Write down about what your life looks like in the future. Mm. Write down how you're feeling. Write down why. Get all that stuff out. It's really fantastic. It's awesome. I think it's it's the key. Like once you can start to unlock that stuff, man, it's just you really start to be able to paint and stitch together the tapestry of your life exactly how you want it. And man, it's it's awesome. It's something I've been practicing for a few years now. All of that stuff, and it's. So well, one, find a, find another point from yeah. that that perhaps people don't do is to identify and articulate their fears, Goose. Yeah. So get them down. When I talk about that when you're doing property development, we talk about the, the risk. Well, I did that for my first project when it started to get pretty big. Awesome. Yeah. Like I was fearful. But I wrote down, well, what are all the things that I'm worried about? What am I fearful of? Losing money, not being able to sell the new properties, all of those things. Just put them down. Get them down mm. on paper. And then you go, well, what can I do to mitigate those risks? Yep. Oh, I can do X, this, 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 and this. Yep. And suddenly you can see maybe it's not as risky or there are things you can do to, uh, to address what you perceive as being uh, risky or yep. that's scaring you. Hundred percent. So I heard Tim Ferriss call that fear setting, and I've really, I've really took that on board because I was doing that without before I'd heard it. And so you have goal setting. Oh, what do I want to achieve? I want to make a million dollars. How am I going to do that? Oh, I'm going to be a property developer, right? Uh, I'm going to do these things. But then you've also got to do fear setting. Okay, what are all the, the worst shit that can go wrong? Okay, well, what am I going to do to to sort that out as well? And so you do the, you do both sides of it, you, and that way you get both the yin and the yang. And when you can see it all clearly, you don't have the good with some mysterious cloud. You go, bang, that's how I'm going to do the good stuff. That is how I'm going to manage the bad stuff. Let's nail this. And then you suddenly go about 10,000 times faster than the average punter. 
Well, and I think that's there's a lot of people that have a fantasy around property development, that it's mm. going to be easy, fast money. The biggest challenge they're going to face is which luxury car brand they're going to buy at the uh, end of the project. Yeah. <laughs> totally. a lot more to it than that. <laughs> Totally, totally. Now, um, I'm mindful of time and I know that you have recently put together a bit of a course to help people get started in property investing. Is that uh, property development? Sorry, is that right? Yes. So, when you touched on that I have my own podcast. So, part of my journey along getting into property development was that I started my own podcast called the Property Developer Podcast. So, if your listeners want to know about de- more about developing, then they can listen in to me and my podcast, they'll mm-hmm. hear some good stories about developing and might inspire them to get into it. But one of the outcomes from having that podcast is that I was getting loads of emails from people saying how much they really wanted to get into developing. And so I put together an online training program to educate people about property development so that mm-hmm. they can go in with their eyes open and understand what's involved, understand the life cycle, the development process, all the things that we've talked about, Goose. And they can go in and learn it. So they can go in with their eyes open. They can start looking at sites. They can conduct due diligence. They can run feasibility so that they know whether or not the project is likely to work rather than buying Mm. and hoping and finding out the bad way. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, I launched that, uh, which is at www.propertydevelopertraining.com and because you're such a nice guy and I know you've got uh, active listeners who are wanting to take charge of their future, I've set up a special promo code that people can get a discount. So if they go to propertydevelopertraining.com and use the promo code GOOSE, they'll get a very special discount. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know that I was the promo code. How good. <laughs> How good. No, that's awesome. I'm probably going to check that out myself uh, and I encourage if anyone's thinking about it and they want to just expand their – some people just want to grow their knowledge in this space and just want to become more learned and more educated whether or not uh, you're looking to do a project now. But it can be really – valuable to just be on a continuous learning journey anyway. So even if you're not thinking, hey, I want to go out and do a development, it's probably worthwhile jumping in there and checking it out anyway. So what's the what's the, what's the address again, just to make sure people have got it? Property Developer Training? PropertyDevelopertraining.com. And I'll just point out that it, the training is designed for smaller projects. <laughs> it's not for Good. doing 20-unit projects on your first go. It's definitely tailored towards that smaller initial project, so your duplexes to your three or four-unit sites. Awesome. Awesome. But I, cool. As you say, I think it's a great education tool that people can educate themselves about property development. It might be a first step that they go and do and then decide, actually, yeah, I reckon I can do this mm. and get on with it. So, awesome. which, would be, which is inspiring for me, helping people to leverage property development to change their life. Helping done help, that for me. Yeah, helping other people is literally the, the, the best possible way to be at a live. It's the thing that drives me forward every day as well. So, uh, I hear yeah, you. So, if people want to, they can listen to the podcast or they can go and do the training either way. They can learn a little bit more about developing. Awesome, perfect. Well, on that note, um, check out the check out the link. We'll drop we'll drop the link in the show notes and check it out. And Justin, I want to say thanks for being on the show. I'm glad that we actually strayed into the straight into the woo soup there. That's really good. It really brought it brought a bit more depth to it. So thanks. I really appreciate having you here. Oh, look, it's been great talking to you, Goose. I uh, hope your audience gets out there and takes control of their future and does it through property. Exactly. Cool, mate. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Goose. See you later.